Welcome to A New Lens with Common Good Capital, where we talk with investors, RIAs, fund managers, and philanthropists about their experiences within different impact investing themes, as well as explore the power of stewardship and capital. I'm your host, Jeff Schaefer, CEO of Common Good Capital. With me this afternoon is an Orlando favorite, John Rivers, the founder of Four Rivers Smokehouse and Four Roots. For those of you not in Orlando, when you come to Orlando, you have to go to Four Rivers and get their brisket. Top notch. And the other thing I love, John, which I don't think you can get at your stores, is your smoked salmon. Smoked salmon, one of my very favorites. You know, it's so funny. We had that on the opening menu, Jeff, and nobody ordered it. Oh my gosh. Oh, it, was, it was such a waste. So we do a ton of them over the holidays. That's what I always order myself. Yeah. Well, w- obviously my days at CNL, we would bring you all in and cater and that's where I had it. Okay. Oh my gosh. Phenomenal. So, and for those not um, in Orlando, let me just say, and you're going to hear this today, John is a guy who has taken risk in living out his passion and calling. He has a huge heart for the community as well as the welfare of people and planet. And one of the things you'll probably hear today, he might even say he has a real affinity for even dirt. And you'll have to explain why I said that. So welcome and thanks for joining us. Thank you, Jeff. Pleasure to be here. All right. So we're going to start off with some questions. I'm going to rattle off just uh, three things and you can kind of frame this. Give us a little background on yourself. Where did you grow up? Where did you go to school? And then a little bit about your career. Sure. I grew up in Jacksonville, Florida. My family, third generation from that area. Went to school up at Florida State, up in Tallahassee. And uh, from there, immediately went into healthcare which was so funny. Growing up, I had two goals and dreams. One, I wanted to be a doctor. Huh. And two, I wanted to own a restaurant. And uh, didn't quite have the finances. I uh, paid my way through college. Um, didn't quite have enough to get me into med school and go forward with that. So I went into marketing and business, mm-hmm. which I equally loved and enjoyed that. But funny enough, my first job was right back in the healthcare market. Mm-hmm. And I was blessed actually with 20 years in the healthcare sector. Until um, ultimately, I retired. I was president of a couple billion dollar company. We took that public, we built it up, retired from that, and then I uh, got to pursue my passion in cooking. Mm-hmm. You know, so finally got to the second one, kind of a uh, act two. For those listening in here, I, I know you personally from a number of different, I guess, circles. So I know some of your story, although I don't know it all. Why don't you tell us how you left the healthcare space or why you left to do what you're doing. Let, let's just isolate that to Four Rivers. Sure, to Four Rivers itself. It's, um, it actually happened back in 2004 while I was running the oncology department of our specialty pharmacy. There was a little girl in the community that had cancer. You know, She came across my desk by accident, but learned about her. She was the same age, kindergarten, as my daughter. Never met the family before, but Monica, my wife, and I just... He felt a heart for her, Hmm. probably because she was the same age as Cameron Mm -hmm. and just couldn't imagine what that parent, those family was going through. And uh, so we found the family and reached out to them and tried to help them in lots of different ways and ultimately uh, realized they needed money and uh, tried to offer them some funds to help offset some of the medical expenses, but the parents wouldn't take it. Um, But they did allow me, they said yes to an offer of doing a barbecue fundraiser Mm. for little Megan at her church, St. Margaret Mary, just around the corner from here. And uh, now prior to this, Jeff, I had only cooked in my backyard. I'm I'm a healthcare guy for 10 people, maybe 15 people and, and, you know, practiced over the years and just loved it. Never did anything big. She says, the parents say, yes, it has to be in 10 days because the next chemo round's coming. 450 people RSVP. (laughs) (laughs) 
you know, to, to, to say, you know, we didn't have the knowledge. I didn't have the experience. <laughs> I didn't have the equipment. You know, I'm running a, you know, a large company at this, at the same time. But I'll tell you what, that's, that's when God showed up. Yeah. Uh, and that's the only way to explain it. Cause not only did people come out of the woodworks, but resources started coming out of the woodworks. One day, Monica calls me, our office is up in Lake Mary. And she says, John, um, you better get home. This is during the 10 days. And I said, what's wrong? She says, you'll see. So I, I rushed down I-4, get into Winter Park, pull into my driveway and had to hit the brakes. Because in my driveway was this huge smoker. I mean, you know, it was one of those mm-hmm. big barrel ones mm-hmm. on, a, on a trailer that from here to, you know, 15 feet forward. And I get out of it and it has a ye- little yellow sticky on it. And the, I go up to the yellow sticky and it says, John, here you might need this. Huh. Call me when you're done and I'll come pick it up. Huh. I mean, just stuff like that started showing up. And we had the event. We fed all those people. We raised money for this beautiful little girl. And one of the most rewarding things is I used my passion, yeah. and that love of cooking. And for the first time, I did it to help other people. Mm. And it lit something. It mm-hmm. hit something on me that mm. I didn't even know it existed at the time. And just, I couldn't explain it. I couldn't articulate it. But I remember telling Monica, I want to do this. And that this became our barbecue ministry that we ran out of the garage for four years after that event. And anytime school or kids or churches or families needed money, we'd give them a check if we could. But I'd always offer, hey, I have a smoker and you know, I'll be happy to come and cook for you. We never did it to take money. We never accepted money for it. Hmm. It was truly just a passion. But what God was doing, he was sowing those seeds and really showing me the way. Because the reason to answer your question why I left because when I was at the peak of my career, when I finally became president of this business, Monday through Friday, I was business, John. And Saturday, Sunday, I was running the ministry. And those two people were completely different. Mm-hmm. My heart was in the weekend. Yep. And I just, I couldn't live that life of denying where I felt compelled to mm-hmm. be because I was cheating the other one. After 10 years there and building the business, I resigned from it mm-hmm. and didn't know what we were going to do. I learned a lesson. Sometimes you have to take yourself out of the wrong position to allow God to put you in the right position. (laughs) Well, I don't know how much you know of my CNL story, and I'm not going to go into that on this. uh, I mean, I'm happy to share at some point, but that same thing, similar yet different, is what happened to me at CNL. I mean, you would look from a worldly perspective and you'd say, why are you stepping down? Why are you leaving that position? And trust me, in my head, I'm thinking, I don't know. Am I nuts? But what you you then realize when you find your calling, even though I didn't know what it was going to look like, I mean, I, I had a view of the calling. I, I didn't know practically what it meant. It, you ha- I had to get out of there. And, and ironically, and so I'd be curious on this, you, know, you hear a lot of people say, don't just leave a scenario. You know, you got to know where you're going to, which is interesting. I, I, didn't know where, I didn't know where I was going to. One of my favorite passages, God's telling Abraham, Abram at the time, of all his descendants and how they're all going to be blessed. And he who he blesses is going to be blessed. And he who he curses is going to be cursed, right? Everybody remembers that, but they forget the verse rep above it. And that one says, Abraham, I want you to leave your father's house. Mm -hmm. I want you to pack all of your things. And I want you to go to a land where you don't know, go to where I will tell you. Okay. He was asking him to take that leap of faith. He didn't tell them specifically where he was going. And the consequence Without him taking that leap yeah. of faith, you wouldn't have got all those blessings that God promised. Those two coincide with each other. Yeah. Yeah. Fascinating. Um, I mean, we could talk for an hour <laughs> on, on that very thing. Part of your story is an entrepreneur 
who stepped out of the boat and who just goes after his calling and who knows if this thing's going to work. I know a little bit of your story of your own journey of coming down to a situation where financially you didn't have a lot left. Can you paint a picture as entrepreneurs may be listening to this? I'd love for them to hear where you were at and, and ultimately then, at least in your case, where it ended up going. Yeah, sure. That's a great question. And that's a great thing for entrepreneurs. You darn well better have thick skin and an absolute commitment and passion to what you're doing. Because think about it, if it was easy, everybody would be doing it. Mm-hmm. You know, the harder it is, the more you have to be committed to it. And you know, people think that I, I stepped out of that position and immediately started the restaurant. It was a two-year period. Mm-hmm. I stepped out of that position, not knowing where God was going to lead me, but knowing that he was leading me away from that position. And during those two years, that's when we did ministry work. Mm-hmm. And it got so big. One year, the last year of it, we served over 40,000 people in our garage. Mm. And it was Monica, who you, my wife, who you know, she said, mm-hmm. you need to get out of the house and out of the garage. And that's what led us to building what was supposed to be a commissary. Okay, It wasn't supposed to be a restaurant. We were just going to have somewhere we could run the ministry. We had this grandiose plan of selling brisket and selling sauce and sausage to Publix and Costco and all these people. And you know, we thought that was going to be the business model. And I chose a place on Fairbanks, uh, the little first location we yep. had. Oh, I know it. And we chose that because it was so run down. And I said, you know, if I'm going to invest in building a commissary, mm-hmm. why don't I invest in my own backyard and clean up? Yeah, love it. Love it. I uh, love it. Yeah, I had no idea, <laughs> Jeff, <laughs> what I was doing. You know, it's so funny because I'd built pharmacies all over the country and, you know, launched drugs all over the world. But, you know, turning this little 1,350 square foot just breaks into a restaurant about killed us mm-hmm. and we thought it was the original plan it's supposed to take about three and a half months it was supposed to i, I still have the quote one hundred eighty-eight thousand dollars is what it's going to cost us to build we're six months plus into it over a half a million dollars of our family capital we had poured into it and my contractor god bless him had stopped working and mm-hmm. walked off the job now we're at a complete standstill now this was in 2009 Okay, and for all of you financial planners, you know exactly what was going on there. All the capital that we had been blessed with, you know, from our previous career, I had invested in mutuals that was down, you know, sixty percent of the oh, time. Wow. We just moved into this big, beautiful house that we built. Yep. And I don't like debt, so we put a lot of capital in it. I was upside down in that square root. Looking at it, we were down to literally sixty days of cash Ugh. of disposable income left before I was going to have to break all these IRAs and breaking the wow. retirement. Couldn't sell the house because we were upside down. In wow. It. And we were, you know, I tell you what, the blessing of that, I've learned a lesson is sometimes you have to get to a point where all you have left uh-huh. in life is Jesus yep. to realize that all you need is Jesus. Huh. And I was at that point and it was every single day on my knees <laughs> and absolutely praying because I didn't have other, and I was in such uncharted territory for me. I don't know how to open a restaurant. Right. I know how to do that. And I tell you, it, it was when I was there and I stayed faithful to it because yep. I had a job offer. Yep. I got a job offer from my mentor and previous mm. boss to go and become a CEO of another specialty pharmacy company. Right at, right at the, the height of our most critical point that we had, I get that phone call. And I remember going home to Monica and, and telling her about it. And it was on a Friday. And as I was telling her about it, my heart just started hurting. Mm. And she said, let's pray about it over the weekend. 
and my spirits were up here on Friday when I got the offer because I thought it was a blessing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's 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 a way out. It's a way out. Here's a solution to all the problems. But by Sunday night, you know, I realized you know a couple things. If you're making a decision about a career in particular about your life, okay, you now you're either you're pursuing something that you're really passionate about and you love. You're pursuing something because you're learning, you know, and you're giving back and doing something, or you're doing it because it's an investment and you're making money on it. You know, I had already done the healthcare thing. I'd already mm-hmm. done all that. It wasn't about passion. It wasn't about learning. It was just about the money. Mm-hmm. And when you step into something and all it's about is the money, no matter how much money you're making, you're going to have an emptiness in your soul that you can't fill. And uh, we prayed about it. And thank goodness for her. You know, I give her the credit. <laughs> she said, John, she says, you know, you've come this far. She says, if you really feel that this is what God wants you to be doing, I will stand by your side even if we lose everything, Mm. which was real possibility. Mm. That confidence, that weight off my shoulders, I called Steve the next day, my previous CEO, and said, Steve, I'm going to pass on it now. That They were buying three specialty pharmacies. They were bringing all the assets together to make one company, and I was going to be the CEO. Yep. That fell apart apart. 90 days later. Wow. It wasn't a blessing. It was a temptation. And the moment that I said no, just like Abraham, obedience and blessings go together within a week. Okay. That next Tuesday, a buddy of mine calls and he runs a Bible study up in Longwood. And uh, there's a guy in his Bible study that comes to the study that morning and he's all disoriented and, you know, he's not focusing. And uh, my buddy says to him, what's wrong? He says, well, you know, it was really weird this morning. I, he lives in Maitland. I got my coffee and then I'm coming down Fairbanks to I-4 and <laughs> I passed this construction site on the right. This is a true story. Oh, I believe it. And and he and the guy says to my buddy, he says, I swear I heard from God. And God said that this guy who's building this is in trouble <laughs> and he's building it for me and he needs help. Okay. And my buddy looks at him and says, he's in big trouble. He needs lots of help. The guy's name was Brad Watkins. Brad was a partner in Friedrich Watkins, a construction company that had three clients or two clients in town, Disney and SeaWorld. <laughs> Brad Watkins' company steps in, wow. okay, when I was down to 60 days of cash. Wow. They get us open in 59 of those 60 days with one day of cash left. Never took money for all the work that they did. Mm. You know, without him mm. doing that, and the next one, <laughs> mm. you want one more? Yeah. No, keep going. We're coming back from the beach that weekend. Okay. I looked down on the phone. The kids are in the back of the seat. And we're in the truck. And you know, Bluetooth is on. And I said, I didn't hear the phone ring. I said, there's a message from a 404 phone number on here. And I remember saying to Monica, who in the world's calling me from Atlanta? Now, remember, I'm not in I'm not in restaurant world yet. Okay? Right. I'm still healthcare, John. Yeah. 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 Right. I hit the, the message and it was on the speaker. And everyone just was in shock. And the message was, um, Mr. Rivers? He said, this is Dan Cathy. Oh he says, I work at Chick-fil-A. He said, uh, <laughs> I work at Chick-fil-A. Yeah, I work at Chick-fil-A. He says, I just had your brisket and your sauce. He said, that's the best thing I ever had. And God told me I should reach out to you and, and offer to help you. Out of the blue. Okay? <laughs> out of the blue. It's not out of the blue, but yes. It's not. It is absolutely not. Dan steps in my life. Now, of all the things that he could give me, you know, he gave me one of the greatest gifts. It had nothing to do with money. He came by my side and he gave me encouragement Mm -hmm. and he mentored me Mm -hmm. and he helped answer these questions and he get me through it. Mm -hmm. And the the lesson that I learned out of that 
you know, you just think, okay, I have all this money. I can't, I can't help people. I can't make a difference in people's lives or in the community until I have money. That's a bunch of bunk. Mm-hmm. You know, just the greatest resource and asset you have is just right here in your heart. Mm-hmm. Right here in your heart. And when you pour into people and you lift them up and you fill them with confidence and encouragement, you empower them to go on and take out the world. Mm-hmm. You know, it has nothing to do with money. <laughs> oh, we just went to church here. That was awesome. You know, it's interesting. So I feel called and common good is our manifestation of that to bring heart back into investing. And when you bring your heart back into investing, it changes the whole paradigm. Because part of it, you start from this position of, well, it's not mine anyways. I'm a steward of it. And then look, and, and I don't think there's, I don't, I'm not blaming anybody. And, and I'm not even saying Wall Street's bad, but human nature in money goes to fear and greed. When you insert heart into it, guess what happens? There's a joy and freedom. Mm-hmm. And uh, so interesting what you're doing and what I'm doing, there's similarities and it's about connecting your heart. And in my case, it's connecting people's heart and their capital together. A return of that will never be matched by money. Yeah. But that is a foreign concept to a lot of people in the financial world, but it's changing Good. and we're watching it. We Good. literally are watching it happen. So it's really cool. <laughs> All right. Question so two. Th- no, by the way, that, that was, that, that was, well, that was awesome. And it was real. And I've been having my own moments like that in unbelievable ways. So uh, I get it. And uh, I'm glad you shared that. I think the listeners will very much appreciate that. How would you best describe yourself in the context of where you're at in your life journey? I, you know, it's so funny. I, I never take myself seriously. Even when, you know, we're doing all the cooking and doing all the, the shows and all the stuff, I never saw myself as a chef. You know, I, I'm still learning. You know, I'm still learning as I go along. And, you know, what, I, what I'm, one of the things that I'm learning is how much I love building and creating things that have a purpose. Mm-hmm. If I had to label it, you know, it's that um, social impact entrepreneur philanthropist. Yep. You know, and, and, and even in that, it's, there's a great amount of giddiness because there's so much I don't know yet. Yeah. And, you know, and every time you get that push to go, you know, open a restaurant or go build a farm, even though you don't know how to do it, the thrill is in saying yes and stepping into it in faith. Mm-hmm. And then that's, it's a great ride. It's, it's going to be sad when, when the business is built, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, and the, the, the risk and that ride is over. It's that building prod itself that I, I absolutely love. Do you have it in you to do another one? Another restaurant? Uh, just another, I mean, I know you're doing, maybe, and maybe this is a t- chance to talk briefly about Four Roots, uh, because clearly you've been designed to, to go build stuff. And so I think your next build is Four Roots, yes. am I right? Yeah. So why don't you give us a little snapshot? Because remember, a lot of the investors and advisors that we're talking to care about people, planet, and profit. And so food, food systems, delivery systems, mm-hmm. like a, it, it is a big theme within this space. So give some context of Four Roots and, and why you're doing that. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what's really interesting about it too, Jeff? It's sequential. Had I not been blessed with Four Rivers and the business itself, which ironically, I thought that was the ministry, you know, what it's proving to be is no, that's given me the platform. Got it. To have a bigger impact through the farm. That bigger impact is also comes with a bigger demand. This one's not an easy lift by any means. When you start tackling uh, a broken food system 
or the you know the burning of uh, soil and turning it into dirt or the loss of uh, carbon on <laughs> what's happening in the planet you know because in, in so many cases I'm actually going upstream against the very core of people of Christianity that haven't really necessarily learned enough about what's going on there to really see the value in what we're trying to do. So it, it it's a huge challenge, but I love it. And, and I love it because I'm passionate about the, the importance of it. And the importance, it, it could very well just be feeding people. You know, we've since we launched the Feed the Need program, we fed almost 2 million people so far, meals that they didn't have before. Or it could be, you know, at the very core of it, this is what I keep reminding the team. You know, you talk about world problems and climate and all this stuff, but bring it back home. If I can teach little Jimmy, okay, or Sally or Lakeisha downtown that a tomato comes from the ground, mm-hmm. that simple, that plain, okay, that's a huge win. You know, just the awareness of the appreciation of the gift that God has given us in the planet and the gift that God's given us from Genesis 1. Okay, of the ability to plant and to feed for ourselves, you know, and that just may lead to one day, you know, connecting that local food to the local hunger. You know that today, and you're gonna get me on a soapbox. That's all right. That's all right. Today in Florida, okay, there there's all this produce grown, and this is for every state, but I'm just gonna show Florida as an example. And at the end of it, there's a lot of produce that's left on the vine or left in the fields, or is picked and harvested. It's not pretty. And it goes to waste, okay? That's almost 1 billion pounds of produce <laughs> wow. per year. Wow. And that was pre-COVID, Jeff. Okay. Wow. Now, meanwhile, in our own backyard, right here no, in I Orange know. County at OCPS, I have one in five kids living in food I insecurity. Know. I know. And I, I dared ask the question when Barbara Jenkins told me this. I said, what does food insecurity mean? Mm. She says, the only food they eat, John, mm. is the food that they're here at school. I said, what about dinner? He says, it's never guaranteed. I said, wait a minute, what about the weekends? He says, they have to find food on their own. So there's more food that's actually grown in the state. We could be feeding everybody, regardless of where you're at with climate change and everything else. That alone is enough to put a flagpole on the ground and say, darn it, you know, God's given me the ability to make a difference there. And it's not, it may not save the world and it may not save the quite honestly, the country or the state, but I can make a difference in my own backyard. That's where we're starting. <laughs> okay. So uh, if you're listening and, and you're challenging yourself, what the heck are you doing? Just keep listening because you're going to be inspired. So tell us about Four Roots practically. If somebody were to come to Orlando in, you know, you tell me in three years, five years, what are they going to see? I pray and I declare it. Yep. That in three years from now, okay. we have been blessed with 40 acres of property, just two miles outside of downtown, that Dr. Phillips was so kind to give to us, and the city of Orlando is working with us on it. It's just on right on John Young, just south of Princeton and north of Colony. So it's city center. Those 40 acres will be transformed into a what we're calling a farm campus. Okay. This farm campus that we're building is comprised of classrooms. It's comprised of six different farming styles from hydroponic to aquaponic to field-based to vertical to shipping containers. It's got restaurants on it. It's got an event center that can sit 300 people. It's got uh, facilities. It's got, we're bringing in the number one hydroponic system in the world from Israel. And here is where students, families, 
and farmers will come and learn about the whole spectrum of agriculture from growing in a regenerative, sustainable practice for some of the farmers to, like I mentioned earlier, Sally and, and uh, Jimmy, just learning about seeing for the first time that corn is actually going to grow out of here. Valencia College is moving their ag program onto campus. So we'll be able to take their 180 students up to four or 500 wow. students. We've created the first in the state uh, regenerative sustain, regenerative uh, certification in farming that didn't exist prior to huh. this. We'll be able to teach people, you know, when you think of farming, okay, you're from the Midwest, you know, it's, it's the fields, it's the corn, so-and-so. Well, you know what? There's so much in agriculture. Yep. It's cool. There's, there's IT, there's advancements, there's, there's IP that's involved, there's biologics, there's chemistry, there's botany, there's, there's business that's behind it. So it's really teaching people about the importance of farming and the, teaching the people where their food comes from, how to eat it healthily, yeah. okay, and how to, how to even produce it in your own backyard or in your community so that we can lower that gap between the two. You know what? And to teach them about how important our farmers are. So it was interesting. I was on a flight, I don't know, 10 years ago or whatever, as I was jetting around the United States, you know, trying to raise capital for different funds. And I'll never forget, I sat next to a guy who, a really nice guy. He's like, what do you do? He's like, oh, I teach people how to create gardens. And it's like, <laughs> so while I'm from the Midwest, when, as you know me, I actually grew up in the Pacific Northwest. So my formative years. And so we had gardens in our backyard. I mean, and I'm, I literally am on the plane going, you're teaching people how to put a garden in their backyard. You know, it's just a foreign concept yeah. to me. Yeah. Although I fast forward to my kids today, well, they wouldn't know. How. I mean, uh -huh. actually, that's not totally true because we have a little area at our house. I mean, a little box that we do yeah. you know, that. But the average person, student, they wouldn't know. They Never. don't. They don't today. Okay. Yep. Matter of fact, 51% of all the produce we eat doesn't, isn't even grown here in the United States. Yeah. It's brought in. The average produce today travels, that's on your plate, that your friend yep. out there eating Taco Bell is just eating, yep. traveled 1,872 miles on average to get to the plate, even though we live right here in Florida. You know that there was one point in American history, I think it was around the 30s and early 40s, it was right after World War I. Okay, when the country was really depleted yep. from agriculture perspective and people who could work it, president put together, you might have heard about it, called the Victory Fund. Yep. And every family that grew in their backyard and started a garden was eligible for $100 per year. <laughs> and at the height of the Victory Gardens, over 62% of households in the United States were growing their own fruit and vegetable in their own backyard. And the moment that that money went away and we went into World War II, we forgot about it. It's fascinating to think about with all the stimulus that's been thrown around. Let's just dream for a second and say that same thing happened mm. today. But what would it look like 12 months after COVID? I, I don't know. I never like to preach about doom and gloom because there's always sure. Fun, okay. But the truth of the matter is, you talked about dirt earlier. Yeah. What I'm actually geeky about is soil. <laughs> yes. And there is a huge difference. Soil, you take one handful of healthy soil, there are more microorganisms living in that one handful than all of human population from the beginning of time. That's how rich, yeah, and diverse soil is. When you kill soil, Okay, when you overtill it, when you put chemicals in it, when you take away all those important microbiomes that are necessary yeah. for our body yeah. to live off of, it turns to dirt. And when it turns to dirt, you can't grow on it. 
in the world today, okay, we are now over 51% of the farmable soil has been turned to dirt. Okay. And 60% of that's happened since 1974 when industrial farming came into practice. Okay. As a matter of fact, the World Health Organization shows right now around the world, we only have six at the current pace yep, that yep. We're, we're turning soil into dirt. Yep. We only have 60 years left. Okay. Until there is no more soil, soil available in the United States, the USDA shows 50 years. And you put that in context, for especially those yeah. who have kids. Yeah. That's 50 harvests left, yeah. okay, before we run out of the way that we grow food today, okay? Our very, uh, our lifestyle yep. is killing the ecosystem that we 100% depend on. So your idea about farming in the backyard, I don't think is that far off. Hmm. That's, it has to be essential. When we as a country can't control a commodity that we absolutely depend on, you know, from a financial, from a security, from a lifestyle perspective, we put ourselves at risk. And that's some of the the motivation that we're moving. That's why we're doing Four Roots. So it's interesting. I was in Rwanda three months ago now. So most of the soil or dirt or whatever there was, appeared more reddish, at mm-hmm. least there. Um, and the hillsides were stunning. I mean, they're, they're, every hillside was terraced with farming. Mm. I mean, it was the, I'll have to show you some pictures. Beautiful. I mean, probably kind of that, I don't, I, I think kind of that Taiwanese type pictures that you mm. see, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but we went and saw the gorillas, the silverback gorillas. Oh, wow. All I can tell you is, as we were, and so you're out in the middle of nowhere here, the soil there, as I'm driving by, you have to go see it. I literally, it looks like you could go eat it. Wow. I mean, I know that sounds ridiculous, and, and in fact, I think I told my brother who lives in Rwanda, I'm like, if you told me that this was where the Garden of Eden was, mm-hmm. I would absolutely believe you. The soil was like nothing I had seen before. And they just had beautiful farming. Mm. Absolutely. I mean, not only was the soil beautiful, but like you saw the plants and you're just like, you don't, I don't see those yeah. looking plants, yeah. those type of stuff. It yeah. was, it was actually, the word I would use was beautiful. Yeah. And I, and I look, my parents, my, my dad grew up in the San Joaquin Valley uh, in California, tons of farming. And it was as hot as heck there. And it's beautiful in its own right. No, this was at a completely, completely different level. Mm. So mm. Uh, anyways, I, I, wow. other than to say, I, I've seen soil that looks so rich that you're like, okay, that's not normal yeah. soil. Yeah. I would, you know, it's so funny. You said you can eat it. Yes. You know, it's uh <laughs> You look at our bodies, okay, our composition, our cell structure today, okay, we are 90% based on bacteria, 10% non-bacteria, okay? That bacteria that is vital to our lifestyle, okay, you know how it's fed? Through the microbiome yeah, in the I, soil. That's what I figured. And so, you know, there's a simple, simple statement, okay? You cannot have a healthy population on an unhealthy earth. Yeah. You know, it doesn't exist. Yeah. And the, the health of the planet this absolutely coincides with the health of humankind. Okay, this has been awesome. Let me switch to because I want to get your question. I want to I want to get your perspective on capital. I think you already just you you probably answer a little bit, but when did you realize the power of capital? You know, if you if you look at the athlete, Jeff, okay, or work somebody's working out or bodybuilder, so and so, they didn't become that way overnight. You know, there's years that you're building up that habit. And that muscle in order to get there. And it's there's a discipline that's around it. 
What I can remember is the first day, um, and Monica and I were just married a few years, and <laughs> I remember we couldn't barely pay the bills. Okay. <laughs> and that first day, I got, you know, something in the mail, you know, feed my people, yeah. one of those things. And you look at the kids, you're like, oh my God, I got to do something. And I wrote like a $20 check. Okay. Which is, you know, in context, not a huge thing. Right. But at the time where we couldn't pay our bills, it actually was a huge mm -hmm. thing. And the significance of it, that was the start. That was the first time that Monica and I, we did something. Did you recognize it then or is that looking back? We, what I recognized was the feeling, you know, and I couldn't explain it. It wasn't an investment. It wasn't a loan. It, you know, we're actually giving something and we don't know why, but we know that it feels good. And then the next month, and the next month, and you know, Bill Gates didn't start off giving millions of dollars away. You right. know, they started off as a small place, and that's always my encouragement to people. You know, don't don't compare <laughs> to mm -hmm. what other people can do. You can make a difference. Just you know, and it doesn't. Again, it's not always capital, but start small and start building up. Well, you even said it earlier. Did you 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 made the comment about somebody brought you just encouragement? Yeah. Different form of capital, yeah. just encouragement. Yeah. And it is amazing what a, what a kind word and encouraging word is. As you, I don't know if you know this, but I have a deep passion for formerly incarcerated mm. and for those that are in prison. I've been going into prisons aside from what I do mm. from a job for the last 30 years. And I've been reminded many times, not only personally to me, but I've had some pretty significant feedback from people where I just went into these prison systems and befriended them and just a handshake or a looking them in the eye changes their whole viewpoint. And you're just like, and so that idea of encouragement, that idea of coming alongside of people, and it's not just money. No, no. Stewardship has to do with all the gifts that you've been given. Yep. And what you do with those to help other people. You know, to me, that, and that has nothing to do with Do you want to expand it all on how you think about stewardship? I mean, you just alluded to it, but uh, I mean, maybe for you and your family, what does stewardship mean? Yeah, no, it's sure. It's, it's, if you take a look at all the gifts we have, and some of those gifts, we're not, we don't have to own them, but we've been blessed with growth, the ability to, to provide for ourselves, uh, beautiful air that we breathe, uh, the, the, the community that we live in. You know, we've been blessed to, to live here in, in Winter Park and in Orlando. And being a steward of that gift means not just the, you know, living in it, but it's the protection of it and it's the furthering of it. Okay. And so when you walk down the street and you see a piece of trash on the ground, pick it up. You know, it's, it's taking care of the gift that we have just around us, you know, and, and the money that we get, it's kind of, to me, it's, you know, it's like that city. It's like the dirt. It's, you know, it's like the soil. It's like the sun. It's not ours. It's not ours. You know, can you, how do you use it to further it? Okay. And to help other people with it. I think the final question for you is if you could make one dream come true in your lifetime, what would that be? Just, just one. You, you, you can, that's it. I love, I love that. You know what, if the, if the work that we're doing right now is we're doing some, some pretty cool stuff around seed breeding, you know, that's specific to disease treatment that doesn't exist today. If there was a way that our little effort that we're doing here um, in, in Orlando mm -hmm. could actually have a, an impact on people around the world and 
whether it's from our health or from our faith or whatever it is, you know, that would that would probably be my my one wish. Did you ever dream that you would be having these discussions on this day? No, my my youth was a, a combination of you know, lack of confidence, no no uh, skills and agilities, and <laughs> um, you know just a drive to want to try to make more money and achieve a position. Uh, no, I'm I'm so grateful that I grew out of that phase. <laughs> as I hope I'm grown out of that phase as well. I, I mean, I think there's one of the challenges is I think you can fall back into that. Now, I think part of it is having a wife and friends who keep you on the straight and narrow. So, um, and I imagine the more success and influence you have, that's probably a more of a temptation, but I know you, I know the people around you and uh, we're cheering that you make a massive difference, massive difference. And I just say in the world, just make a massive difference here locally, which I know you're already doing. So you change your backyard and you can inspire everybody else's backyard. Yeah. Thank you for taking the time and thank you for being so open and honest. That was, that was awesome. Don't forget to subscribe to a new lens with common good capital on your podcast app of choice. And please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. This will help new investors find the show and hopefully put them on the path to more fulfilling portfolios within the impact investing space. Till next time, I'm Jeff Schaefer. This podcast is a production of Common Good Capital. It does not constitute an offer or a solicitation of an offer. Such offer would only be made through a private placement memorandum. Prospective investors in private placement securities should be aware that making an investment is speculative and involves a high degree of risk, including the risk of losing all or a portion of an investment. Investments of this nature are illiquid and subject to substantial restrictions upon transferability.